Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. We got a great one tonight. Uh, it's a very, very special day around here. First off, the guest, Congressman Mark Pocan, returns to our show. One of the classiest, gutsiest, and most compassionate members of the House of Representatives. We're always happy when the representative from the great state of Wisconsin can lower his standards long enough to join us. We're thrilled he's back. Also, Dr. Tracy Lawrence will be here. The rude pundit, Lee Papa, will be here to slay fools. And the great Natalia Reagan joins us for another edition of Shit You Just Can't Say. Yes, liberals are going to be a new term that we're about to be told is not good. I apologize in advance. I, I, I just, I don't know what to say. Joy Behar faxes us these new rules and we have to live by them. And for the next three hours, we will be taking your calls with our guests at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT gets you as part of Progress After Dark. There's a lot to cover. It is the last day of February. It's the last day of Black History Month. It was 70 years ago today in a Cambridge University laboratory. Scientists discovered the double helix structure of DNA. It was 40 years ago today that the finale of MASH aired and became the most watched TV program in history. Yes, that was 40 years ago today. It was 30 years ago today that federal agents raided the compound of the Branch Davidian religious cult in Waco, Texas. They had planned to arrest David Koresh on firearms charges, and of course, four agents and six Davidians were killed in a 51-day standoff followed. That began 30 years ago today. It was 25 years ago today that Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On went to number one in the U.S. And today, of course, 10 years ago was when Pope Benedict resigned as Pope, the first Pope to resign since the year 1415. And the worst part about it was for the rest of his life, he made Francis wear that trainee badge. Today is the birthday of the late great Gavin McLeod. Today is the birthday of friend of the show, the funniest man, the late great Gilbert Gottfried. Today is the birthday of Chris Houseelt, our producer. So when you call up tonight, you lot, you make sure to pay your respects to our boss, give him a lot of love, and thank him for working on the night of his birthday, and thank his wife for really just giving up and, and letting him do this with us in the evenings. We are so grateful to be here. The great Thea Harper is our associate producer, and we can't wait to hear from all y'all. We have a really good show planned tonight. We're going to try to make sense of all the craziness going on in this country. We're going to try to remind you it's all okay. You're not crazy. The rest of them are. And don't forget, there's more of us than there are of them. We just have to let the rest of us know that. Now, I want to begin by going back in time to a, a land called uh, August last summer. 
When President Joe Biden announced that his administration was going to cancel 10 grand of student loan debt for every federal borrower and and an additional 10 grand for any recipient of a federal Pell Grant. Now, yeah, it didn't go far enough, but this had the potential to completely wipe out student loan debt for 20 million of our fellow Americans. And as you guys know, crippling student loan debt keeps millions of young people from enjoying crippling home mortgage debt. I know. But the Biden administration wanted to do it. It's a stimulus. It'll get people buying houses. It'll get people out of debt and shopping more. It's good for the economy. They want to wipe out $400 billion in student loan debt by forgiving up to twenty grand per borrower. Black and Latino Americans, black women especially, have historically borne the brunt of this crushing burden. They've been stripped of generational wealth, forced to obtain higher educational status to compete with white workers in the workplace. As of today, about 90% of black students are forced to borrow federal dollars to attend college. And again, it's not even the student loan debt. It's the interest they pay on that debt. That's what this is really about. That's what Democrats should really be talking about. But we'll get to that in a moment. Because this plan to cancel billions in student loan debt appears to be in serious jeopardy after today. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to oral arguments in these two cases that are challenging the plan, but the Supreme Court's conservative majority, spoiler alert, doesn't seem to like the idea of forgiving student loan debt to poor people. Uh, They were very dubious about the entire thing. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prilligar argued the plan was legal. Under the HEROES Act of 2003, because uh, it is. And the HEROES Act, for those of you who don't know, came to us under President Bush, and it allows the Education Secretary to waive or modify student financial assistance programs when there's been a national emergency. Here's a clip. This is, again, Department of Justice Solicitor General, our nation's top lawyer, Elizabeth Prologar, making the government's argument before SCOTUS today, noting that COVID was the major factor in creating the student loan relief program. It's, of course, true that I can't make a representation that the harms the borrowers are facing are solely due to COVID-19. But I think that it would be an impossible burden to place on the secretary to suggest that he needs to isolate and identify just one economic factor or force that's causing that kind of distress for borrowers. You know, our, our, our economy is very complex and there are often multiple factors and forces at play. But the secretary here found, and I don't think that anyone could reasonably dispute that but for COVID, Borrowers would not be in this situation of facing severe financial harms and the very real risk that they'll have to go into default or delinquency when they start repaying their student loans. So I think to the extent that there's concern here about how the standard could operate, at the very least, the secretary made the requisite findings that that these are financial harms that derive directly from and are a but-for result of the COVID pandemic. Hey, speaking of COVID, uh, it was Donald Trump who first used that statute. Donald Trump did it first and use the HEROES Act of 2003 to pause on student loan debts. He did it first since the onset of the COVID pandemic. And Biden did what Trump did. Biden's just trying to make it a little more permanent. Does Joe Biden's plan comply with federal law? Yes, it does. And since he announced the plan last August, 26 million Americans have applied for student loan debt relief. Now, more than 16 million of those borrowers' applications have already been fully approved. But this program's been on hold since November, when a judge in Texas shot it down. (sighs) 
So let's talk about Justice John Roberts. Uh, he and the other five right-wing justices invoked the major questions doctrine, which is that the executive branch needs explicit congressional approval to act on big issues. And the court has used that to strike down a lot of priorities like environmental regulations and the COVID vaccine mandates. Here's Justice John Roberts looking to the precedent that was set by Congress's inaction on student debt relief as a signal that Congress has to decide this first. And since Congress did nothing, this White House, which promised to do something, and 81 million people elected them when they promised to do something, well, they shouldn't try to do anything. But whether Congress uh, acted or not was a factor that we considered in the major questions doctrine. And uh, the way we considered it uh, is whether or not the issue uh, that was before the court is something that had been seriously considered and debated and was a matter of political controversy before Congress. Um, that certainly is the case here, right? That's right. We're not disputing that this is a politically significant action. But if you're well, focused- not just a politically significant action, but one that has the attention of Congress, the fact that it hasn't acted under the major questions doctrine, but has considered the matter, uh, we cited a support for the notion that maybe it should be one for Congress. If you're talking about this in the abstract, I think most casual observers would say if you're going to give up that much amount of money, if you're going to affect the obligations of that many Americans on a subject that's of great controversy, they would think that's something for Congress to act on. And if they haven't acted on it, then maybe that's a good lesson to say for the uh, p uh, president or, or the um, uh, administrative bureaucracy that maybe that's not something they should undertake on their own. Ooh, wow. You know, it's okay to forgive loans to rich people, but people making under 75,000 a year? Hell with them, right? You know, our European capitalist allies get healthcare and and, and education when they pay their taxes. You ever wonder what you get for yours? The fact that Joe Biden has to argue this case for student debt relief. This is a program that's helping up to 26 million Americans get out from under predatory lending because that's what it is. It's not about the tuition. It's about the interest. The fact that Joe Biden has to plead for this in front of the Supreme Court tells you everything you need to know about the nature of the GOP and the nature of their brand of Christianity. Now, now uh, if they block him, essentially, they're going to be saying a Democratic president has fewer rights in the executive branch that a Republican has. We know at least five of these judges don't like the idea of debt forgiveness at all. But the word you got to remember is standing. And we'll talk about this later in the show with Dr. Tracy Pearson. But is there standing? Can those who are challenging this policy, who have brought the case before the court, you know, those well-funded private individuals, can they show that this policy will hurt them? Because as you know, if the court doesn't find their standing, the case has to go away. And you're already seeing the refs working really hard on this one. Here's Justice Neil Gorsuch. He's focusing on the appearance of fairness in a policy like this, echoing the recurring sentiment among conservative justices. What I think they argue that is missing is cost to other persons in terms of fairness, for example, people who've paid their loans, people who um, don't ha have planned their lives around not seeking loans, um, and people who are not eligible for loans in the first place, and that a half a trillion dollars is being diverted to one group of favored persons over others. I think that's the nature of their argument, in addition to, as you point out, the cost of the fisc. The I didn't see anything in the memorandum that dealt with those kinds of questions. And if there is something, I'd be 
appreciative if you could point me to it. No, there's not. But that's because I think that those kinds of arguments are inconsistent with the statutory scheme that Congress set up here. Congress already made the judgment that in the context of a national emergency, you should be able to provide borrowers with this kind of relief to serve this purpose. And so I think for, for the states to suggest that it's incumbent on the secretary to say, actually, I'm not going to do that, even though Congress wanted to, me to ensure that borrowers won't be left worse off, is, is just at war with the whole statutory purpose. You know, I, I didn't take any student loans. Hello, Gorsuch. I, I never did. Never. I, I worked nights. I worked weekends. I worked overnights on weekends. I spent my college years working at a residential home for developmentally disabled kids out on Long Island. And I'd leave the city, go back to Long Island on the weekends, and I'd work overnights. I would work a Sunday overnight, get off work at 6 a.m., hop a train into Manhattan and go to class. I got two scholarships. I worked my ass off. I didn't ask for student loans. And yes, I want to see this debt forgiven because I see how much it's hurting our economy. I see how much it's slowing a generation down from being able to climb the economic ladder. I see how student loan debt is taking the American dream, the dream of upward mobility itself out of the hands of millions of my fellow Americans, because you can't climb an economic ladder when you've got a 400 pound weight of student loan debt tied around your neck. Now, again, Congress not wanting to do shit has led in recent years to presidents pushing their agenda through in creative ways, right? Remember, there was going to be a big immigration reform package and Marco Rubio was behind it and Sean Hannity was saying it's not going to be amnesty. And then, of course, the focus groups didn't like it. So the next day, Sean Hannity, the next day, called it amnesty. Well, Barack Obama issued executive orders. He gave us DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. You can't deport them. And it, they didn't like it. But he, Trump, he declared his national emergency to divert funds to build his racist, pointless, unworkable wall on the southern border even though the majority of Americans voted against that twice. And, and Joe Biden used COVID as his justification to bar more evictions, to require vaccinations, and to forgive 20 grand in debt for student borrowers. All of these presidents tried to go around Congress to enact policies. They all had legal challenges, but Obama and Trump had majorities on the Supreme Court, and that's how they got to do it. Now, again, imagine, you know the old thing, I think it was Dennis McDonald, on Facebook said, imagine I loaned you $100 and I said I would charge $1 per day in interest until the balance was repaid. $1 a day in interest. So after 300 days, you haven't paid anything. So now you owe $400. Now imagine I say, since I'm such a nice guy, I'll forgive $100 of your debts. You only owe me 300. And then the interest continues. Do you get that it's not costing the lenders any money? Do you get that the lenders aren't actually spending another $100? When you forgive student loan debt, you are forgiving the interest, which is to say you're erasing money that never even existed. Okay, this plan is not costing anyone any money. Your taxes aren't paying for this because no one's spending money. The amount of debt that is being forgiven under Joe Biden's plan is less than the amount of debt that was created by the interest on the original loans. And the Bible is squarely on the side of the debtors. I hate to have to drag the Bible into this, but as long as these are good Christian people enacting their policies because they pretend they're on the side of God, let's do one of my favorite activities, uh, telling Republicans what's actually in the damn Bible. Leviticus 25. They don't know that one. They love the anti-gay stuff in Leviticus. They don't read much of the rest of it. 
But in Leviticus 25, God instructs Moses and the Israelites to have a year of jubilee. Every 50 years, at the blast of a trumpet, the jubilee marks uh, a moral shift in society. Every 50 years, slaves are set free, land is returned to its original owners, and any outstanding debts have to be eliminated. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, God says every seven years now, Creditors should remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. It's a jubilee year. Every seven years, you have to forgive all debts. What about the Jesus parts? Well, um, Jesus actually, in this little prayer called the Our Father, instructed his followers to uh, say, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's in Matthew 6. That's in Luke 11. The Bible's pretty clear when it comes to debt abolition and releasing someone from debt and interest. God demands society delivers justice to all people. God, the character in the Bible, you don't have to believe in this as literal fact, atheist brothers and sisters, but in the Bible, they claim to believe. God rejects a culture that shackles its people, rhetorically or physically. And by the way, the whole point of Christianity is to believe that Jesus paid for all of your sins by sacrificing his life. These same Christians against student loan forgiveness are saying that they follow a religion based on Jesus forgiving a debt that they could never repay. So you needed a Sonia Sotomayor to come in and rock the room, right? And she did it. She came in and pretty much gave the case that the executive branch can cancel debt because of the HEROES Act, Congress could not be more clear. Here is Justice Sotomayor countering that fairness is not the issue at play here. I take your bottom line answer to be everybody suffered in the pandemic, but different people got different benefits because they qualified under different programs, correct? That's right. There's been enormous relief there's efforts. Good, there's inherent unfairness in society because we're not a society of unlimited resources. Every law has people who encompass it or people outside it, correct? That's correct. And that's not an issue of fairness. It's an issue of what the law protects or doesn't. Yes. Boom. So... <laughs> Donald Trump can cage kids with an executive order, right? Donald Trump can have an executive order and steal children from their parents. That means Biden can cancel student debt. Debt is a racialized plague. Debt preys on the poor. Debt is a way of keeping the poor poor. It's social control. You can't really be into this kind of interest in debt and claim you follow the American dream. Credit card debt for medical care, for rent, for, for, for other basic needs, I, I say cancel that as well. I would, I would have a jubilee year and I would cancel all mortgage debt, all credit card debt, all medical debt. I'd cancel all of it. And what would happen? Everybody would go out and start buying shit. That's what would happen. But since wages have gotten so low, behind the pace of productivity, what? Many Americans are forced to borrow and borrow and borrow to make ends meet. And it's the interest where it gets criminal. Private insurance companies controlling access to health care, that's a trap. A low-wage workforce that doesn't get health benefits, that's a trap. A capitalist society, but without manufacturing, that's a trap. The student loan debt system is a trap. A safety net for Americans who've fallen on hard times, not a trap. So just remember, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not optimistic. But if the Supreme Court rules against Joe Biden, you know it's political. And also remember this, 
if they do this, if they kill this, if more people voted for the Biden agenda that have ever voted for any president in the history of this country, 81 million. I mean, those are popular policies, right? If they do this anyway, goodbye to the under 30 vote for the Republican Party. Enjoy, guys. Go ahead. Take your best shot. Everybody under 30, uh, they're going to be alongside everybody who has a uterus. And they're going to know your words don't match your policies. We do want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Let me go to Dave in Washington. Hi, Dave. Welcome. Thanks for waiting on hold. Hey, John, and happy birthday, Jedi Master Chris. That's right. Hey, the, Give Chris love. Yeah, the force is with him today. Hey, the um, I just wanted to say, now this is, a, this is a big topic, this activist court. And they're really um, reactionary. Uh, it's, I think, a more appropriate term. And I heard a, a speaker, um, the, the justification they used to gut the Voting Rights Act. They said that the court, um, you know, made comments yes. that, you know, we're in a post-racial America because of President Obama's election. That's right. Like, in, other, in other words, in other words, in other I'm sorry, but that's the same argument you've heard a lot of right wing people say. How can there be racism if there is a black president? And that was the argument they used to bring about more, greater systemic racism. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, no, that's OK. These are deep topics, philosophical topics. That's why it caught my attention. And then this court where I give up on them, and this was the court Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on, and she voted. It was a unanimous decision. No court. Supreme Court decisions should be unanimous. They unanimously decided that workers should not get reimbursed for standing in security lines or reimbursed for commutes. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. That, too, is philosophical. What it is is they're saying um, if you're poor in America, that you really haven't earned your, any rights. And, and to tell you the truth, I'm not the only one that knows this. What's his name knows it? Elon Musk. They were saying how ironic it is that Elon Musk, who owns, is the richest man in the world again, and owns a media company, is calling the media racist. I'm like, no, that is not. He knows. He knows. And what he knows is this. If you're poor in America, you are a piece of, you're a plywoodian. You're not yeah. real. I mean, you're not a real thing. And to tell you the truth, all right, as an atheist, I can tell you this, John. Atheism, all right, where we get stuck is this. If a giant meteor came out of the, the abyss and blew this world into, into, into vapors, would we even exist? If you say, well, yes, of course, we, humanity in this planet existed, well, then you have a religious, you might be open to religion. All right, if you think, well, no, we didn't exist, then you're probably an atheist. But you, you know, not religion, religion's not one size fits all, by the way. Spirituality, faith are all very different things. And and believer, belief in a higher power doesn't necessarily mean you subscribe to any of these religions. But I get your point. Well, well and, and I was on uh, the conservative show that right, they, were, they were talking about uh, God wants you to be wealthy. And I called yeah. in. I'm like, how do you know this? How do you know how God measures wealth? How do you know this? They wouldn't let me on because they said we were made in the image of the Lord. Therefore, whatever we want is what the Lord wants. I was like, oh, my, I can't believe they're saying this. Yep. They, 
the same show had on an Anton LaVey guy, a Satanist, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. he said that Anton LaVey is not, was not evil. Anton LaVey just believed that um, you have to put yourself first. You can't love others unless you right, love I know. yourself. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, man. I mean, God and the Satan believe the same thing? Philosophically, that's the same. That's from not really... No, that's... I mean, listen, I, I, I don't want to get into this, but the Satanic Church is not about <laughs> evil, but Jesus is not about selfishness. Jesus is against wealth. He's against personal wealth. Something, something, camel, something, something, eye of needle. I could quote scripture all day. Yeah. Jesus's number one priority is and always has been the poor, but you're never going to get to be a rich pastor with a big mansion and a lifetime supply of hair gel if you stand up for the least of these. No, you've got to say God wants you to be rich and rich people are that way because God likes them better. You're going to pull that Santa Claus shit on people to explain to Timmy why some kids get better toys from Santa than you. It's superstitious bullshit and it's evil and it's fine, except don't call it Christian. So you know who I'm talking about. And these are the ministers who know very well if you talk about how you have to help the poor, help the sick and Welcome the stranger. You're not going to be able to buy a bigger mansion. Dave, I got to run, but I thank you for these points very much. Quick break. When we come back, more of your calls and returning to our show, the great representative Mark Pocan of Wisconsin, one of my favorite congressmen. We're thrilled he's joining us. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. If you've enjoyed our recent conversations, by the way, with the likes of two-time Oscar winner Christoph Waltz or Natasha Leon or Representative Ilhan Omar or last week's crazy interview with Eugene Levy, you can hear all of those on our podcast on the SiriusXM app or on SiriusXM On Demand. And I'm very excited to welcome our next guest back to the show. He's someone who has inspired me more than he realizes. Congressman Mark Pocan was sworn in as the U.S. Representative for Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District in 2013, following 14 years serving in the Wisconsin State Assembly. He was a small business owner, a union member, a lifelong advocate for progressive causes, and he has used his life experience and the power of his his office to fight for the families of South Central Wisconsin, regardless of their political affiliation. He serves now on the House Appropriations Committee. He sits on the Labor, Health and Human Services and Education Subcommittee, the Financial Services and General Government Subcommittee. He's chair of the Equality Caucus, co-chair of the Labor Caucus and chair emeritus of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He is a true hero to the LGBT community and to this show. He's even joined us on stage before. Mark Pocan, what a great pleasure. Welcome back and uh, late Happy New Year to you. Yeah, thank you, John. You, you too. I appreciate being on your program. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to see you. I have to ask, I've been dying to ask, how has the first month or so of Kevin McCarthy's speakership been for your caucus? It seems like from taking Ilhan Omar off her committee to giving 40,000 hours of privileged footage exclusively to one right-wing cable news show, it seems like it's all the kind of performative nonsense that does nothing for anyone we expected. It, it's like a Donald Trump Jr. acid trip, I'm guessing. Um, you know, it's it's a little <laughs> bit, um, you know, from that first week, 15 votes in order to get a speaker, Kevin McCarthy selling his soul and, and his liver and his kidneys and whatever it also took in order to have a title uh, to the, you know, complete dysfunction that they have. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene asking for a, a national succession movement. Um, you know, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates go down the list. Uh, you know, it's it's we're going to survive through this. We're going to make sure we get the majority in 2024. But, uh, you know, it is definitely a dysfunctional Congress. Does it feel like and you talk to these folks, I know you get along with them. You're 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 very gregarious and easy to get along with. Uh, does it does it feel like they they have a sense of a legislative agenda they want to enact that will help people? Or does it seem like they're feeding an outrage machine that Fox News has come to make this party need? I mean, Donald Trump has made this, I mean, a cult, right? It's its its barely a political party, but it's all about their base. You know, if you don't want to be challenged and beat up and, and yelled at, uh, you have to appeal to the base. But that means you're you are not in the mainstream of independents or Democrats or, or anyone else. And, and that's the problem. So I talked to a Republican today. I mean, they can't wait for Trump to go away. But, you know, the person made a comment how Kevin McCarthy and, and uh, you know, other leadership, Jim Jordan, um, even, even, you know, uh, some of their more rational leadership are behind Donald Trump. And they think that that's the path forward. And yet, you know, I think reasonable Republicans realize that that's not a path forward. But, you know, because they have to appeal to the base or else get beat up severely, that's where a lot of their energy goes. And that's why, you know, not, nothing substantial will pass through the House. They'll do a lot of hearings, uh, but it's a it's a different time to be here. We hear all these Paul Ryans talking about how Donald Trump led the party to arguable ruin in 2018, 2020 and 2022. But Paul Ryan's not in Congress. And it just I, I you know better than me, the amount of sensible Republicans who might be wrong about policy, but they know how bad Donald Trump is for the country. They know how bad Donald Trump is long term for their party. And they know how bad he is for the 2024 election. Clearly, DeSantis is the choice of the establishment, but the Republican voting base doesn't seem to feel that way. No, I mean, if you stand up, you're pulling a Liz Cheney. We all know what happened to Liz Cheney, right? So yeah. no one... Uh, is willing to stand up. Uh, even Ron DeSantis doesn't exactly know how to run against Donald Trump. Um, and, you know, they're in a tough spot within the, the, their their party. I think enough of them know Donald Trump isn't the answer, but at the same time, within, their, within the base, he is the answer. So how do you navigate right. around that? Uh, all I care about is, is, you know, let them have the dysfunction they're going to have we're going to organize around 2024. Uh, we're going to make sure that no one cuts Social Security or Medicare. Uh, we're going to protect a woman's right to choose. We're going to do the mainstream things that people in this country want us to do. And I think that's the path forward. And then we'll have a speaker, Hakeem Jeffries, mm-hmm. uh, and it'll be a better place than we are now. It does seem like there's a, a tremendous spirit among Democrats in the House and that spe- uh, Leader Jeffries has really been inspiring people. And, and of course, with, uh, with, with Representative Pelosi's guidance, it, it really does seem like this party is, uh, shall we say, in array, these Dems. 
Yes. I mean, Nancy, to, to her credit, Nancy Pelosi left in an incredible classy way, right? She, she's been a tremendous leader. We should be naming buildings after her for what she's done. But it was time, um, bluntly. It was time. And Hakeem Jeffries is the future of the Democratic Party. He came in my class. I have enormous respect for him. I gave his seconding speech when we elected him as leader. Uh, Catherine Clark, our number two person, is my seatmate on appropriations. It's yes. a different generation of Democrats that are there that match where the country is at. And uh, we're ready. We're, we're ready to, to move forward with things. Uh, but, you know, we've got to make sure that we have a Democratic president, Democratic Senate, and we take the majority in 2024, which is absolutely possible, especially where the Republicans are going. Um, but we're going to keep putting out the priorities to show where we would stand on issues. Republicans will do whatever it is that they're going to do uh, to try to make the, the extreme MAGA, the Q movements happy. But yeah. it'll be a very clear distinction moving into 2024. Yeah, you'll be fighting to preserve Social Security and Medicare, and Republicans will be warning us about transgender children trying to play sports in school. Uh, you, yeah. you mentioned Social Security and Medicare, and I, I want to give people an idea of uh, the man I'm talking to here, because Joe Biden skillfully pointed out in his State of the Union the Republican Party's double talk on Americans' earned benefits. We don't call them entitlements here. Um, I'd like to ask you to tell us a bit about the Protect Social Security and Medicare Act, because you have introduced this, and it is one of the smartest things I have heard in ages. Well, you know, um, with a small Republican margin and with their rhetoric around raising the retirement age, about putting Social Security on the chopping block with discretionary spending every year or every five years, depending which Republican you talk to, all of that equates to cutting Social Security and Medicare, two of the most popular programs the federal government offers. So what um, Lloyd Doggett from Texas and Maxwell Alejandro Frost from Florida and I did is uh, introduce a bill to say it takes a two-thirds vote if you're going to cut uh, Social Security or Medicare, because it shouldn't just be, a, you know, you have five seats margin of the 435 seats, and now you can completely get away, get, give away a program that we've had in place for decades and decades that has popular support. But it should be at least a two-thirds vote if you're going to do that. And that way, we can't let these whims of, of right now under the Republican Party take away something that's so very important to to you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions uh, of American people. Th these are important popular programs. Um, you know, John, I'm a middle class guy. I don't I'm not one of the millionaires in Congress. Half of my colleagues are. I'm worried about people that live in my neighborhood that I grew up with that we're taking care of. And the only way you do that is you have to do something that protects Social Security and Medicare at a two thirds vote. Absolutely. I love it. L let me ask you a bit more about protection, because we had another train derailment today. And obviously, Congress needs to get involved. Um, but this industry is full of modern railroad robber barons who don't want to have any kind of safety regulations because that might skim the profits a little bit. I, I got to say, I've been a bit shocked, Congressman Pocan, to see some of your colleagues on the right essentially coming out against Joe Biden, coming out against government instead of the actual train companies. This would seem like a great chance for them to show that they're here to stand up for the workers, but instead they're going to let the train companies and Donald Trump, who made the brakes less safe, skate, and they're going to try to pin this on Pete Buttigieg. 
Yeah. So we had Pete Buttigieg speak before the Progressive Caucus today, and I got a chance to ask him a question and talk about this very issue. You know, the, the federal government was there within hours uh, in Ohio. Like We've been on top of this. We're doing everything we're supposed to do. Um, they are looking at some uh, rule changes. They have over 10,000 comments on bringing back the extra staff on trains, which I think absolutely uh, they need to do as a department to bring back some of the safety standards that that Donald Trump got rid of as he was deregulating federal government. You know, he put us in a position that these sort of derailments can happen more often. And we've got to put that regulation back in place. And, and I, I truly believe Secretary Buttigieg is trying to do it, but he's following the process. He's got 10,000 right. comments, period, and a process you have to do. But he's brought the right adult-like calm into this. So you don't have the Republican rhetoric. They're just trying to blame Joe Biden, but there's nothing to blame Joe Biden. The federal government was there within hours. Um, yeah. But changes happened under Donald Trump or I use the very words you did, John, about railroad barons. You know, don't forget in Wisconsin, fighting Bob LaFala at the turn of the last century talked about the railroad barons and what was going on. And the fact that we had to deal with a union contract with railroads uh, at the end of last year because they wouldn't even offer a day of paid sick leave. You know, this industry needs far more regulation and review. And I think that was part of the encouragement that we gave the secretary today. Uh, Congressman, shifting gears a bit, I want to ask, how are your colleagues and, and how are the folks back in Wisconsin feeling about uh, ongoing U.S. support for Ukraine against the brutal invasion by Putin? I, I get that in Congress, people who aren't fans of democracy here aren't going to be big fans of democracy there. But do you do you sense the support is still holding one year in? Yes. I mean, there are many Republicans in Congress who feel as strongly as many Democrats in Congress that uh, when Russia... Um, invades another country, we have to stand for the rule of law. Um, and, and we have that ability. We don't want to send troops in because that's not something we want to do. I think that's, again, unified. The problem is it's the extremists in the Republican caucus, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, who actually side with Putin really more on this this conflict. And, and I think I saw Andy Biggs and some others put out these comments. It's absolutely crazy. It's where we're at in Congress. I mean, there are people in Congress now that 10 years ago when I got here never would have been imagined that they would have these this extreme of people would be elected to Congress. Now they're my colleague. And uh, that's part of the problem. And they have a, a, a soapbox and they can say really stupid things because in many cases they have really stupid ideas. And uh, unfortunately, um, it does, I think, hurt us on the national international stage that you have people saying some of the things they're saying. Does it help politically to have people like Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or George Santos becoming the face of the Republican Party? I mean, I, I know that can help with fundraising, but does it does it help the nation overall if if the opposition is painted as being of the same cloth as these clowns? Yeah, no. I mean, that, that's the problem. Short term thinking. Yes. Right. I mean, when Marjorie Taylor Greene, who seems to be an expert on divorce, uh, recommends that the country have a divorce, <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's for fundraising for Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, you know, probably, you know, maybe a few too many steroids over the years or something. I don't know what's going on, but it's not logical thinking. It's embarrassing, and, 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 you know, both internationally and, and nationally, and, and it yeah. deserves the disdain that it, 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 I think it's getting. Yes, in the short term, it helps show extreme they are, but I, I'm worried about the long term. I've been doing this now for 30 years this year, yes. local, state, and federal government. Um, you know, this is what I've made my life's mission. Uh, I never want to see, you know, in order to have a short-term political gain, have go through this. 
but this is the reality right now. You know, Lone, Lone Borbert and, and, you know, everyone should have a gun to hug it at night to go to sleep. Uh, you know, Matt Gates and <laughs> whatever you want to fill in the joke there about whatever underage uh, option you have. Uh, oh, and, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got truly George Santos, George Katira, you know, whatever, oh, yeah. all the different he has. I mean, the fact that I'm having a conversation with you, John, at this level, yeah. 10 years ago, Never, ever would have bet even a dollar to $10 that this would have been a conversation. But see, this is why I'm thrilled to have you, Mark, because I always want to ask you what the sane Republicans say to you off camera. You know, I mean, take take the debt ceiling battle. I mean, it seems like this is the usual self-defeating Republican hypocrisy and bluster, and a few loudmouths will use this to grandstand a lot. But I mean, when you talk to the sane Republicans... they don't want to do this. The sane ones know that Reagan did this 18 times, Bush did it seven times, Trump did it three times. They don't want to go through this pantomime again, do they? The problem is many of the sane ones just left. That was the path of least resistance, right? Don't stand up to the crazies within your your party and, and just leave Congress. And I saw many of them go in the last, especially the last four to six years uh, under Donald Trump. But for the ones that are left, I mean, the problem is it's very hard to go and then have to stand in a Republican primary and say something rational uh, when such a large element of extreme MAGA folks are voting uh, in those primaries. So Mm -hmm. it is a dilemma, and I I get the dilemma. I wish there was more backbone, but I also understand why it is difficult to do that. Um, You know, I truly believe when Donald Trump is gone, that will be the single best thing because he just has a megaphone that is – any any presidential candidate at that level has a megaphone that is a hundred times, maybe a thousand times what any member of Congress can have. And yes. that's the problem. So when Donald Trump is gone, people, I think, will start to have the backbone. I'm fine with disagreeing with people without being disagreeable and getting back to the way politics was during most of my 30 years. Yeah. But, you know, to, to try to have a debate with Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or Lone Boebert or Andy Biggs or unfortunately too many people, it's, it's beyond uh, normal comprehension. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you when I watch this this performative governance, this this, you know, speech giving that's only intended to get a soundbite on Fox News or Newsmax that evening and not right. to actually help any of their own constituents. But again, owning the libs seems to be what conservatism means at this point. I, I do want to ask, on a more positive note, Congressman, how has the uh, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act been helping out the citizens of Wisconsin? Are you beginning to see uh, the start of the of the reforms in the building? Yeah, I'll tell you, that what we're looking at in the next decade between the infrastructure bill, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, the CHIPS Act to bring more manufacturing, especially around computer chips, back to the United States. I mean, I, I was talking to one union president from uh, LIUNA, Laborers Union. They're guessing $40 billion of new construction for factories. And then you're going to have people working in those factories. Like, there is so much that's going to happen in the next decade because of what we did in one session. And, John, in any one two of years. Would have- biggest would have been the cherry on the Sunday of any other session that I've been in Congress. And we did four of them under Joe Biden and the Democrats in the last two years. So, you know, whether it be electronic vehicle, uh, electric vehicle charging stations, whether it be uh, the roads and bridge work that needs to happen, whether it be any of the other water delivery systems infrastructure, we are going to benefit for decades. 
and we're going to spend money for a decade to get all these things done. And absolutely, those are all family supporting wage jobs. A lot is going to happen out of those bills. I saw $62 million to, to upgrade Wisconsin's entire water system. Uh, Congressman, yeah. you're, you're so generous with your time. Before I let you go, one final question about today and 2024. How have your constituents responded to the ending of, uh, of Roe v. Wade? I don't think this issue is going away. And I think a lot of Republicans, um, both North and South, are already very, very nervous that this dog finally caught this truck. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they've signaled for a half a century that they were going to do this, right? Go after Roe versus Wade. And they did it. We shouldn't be surprised. Uh, they've shown persistence. And uh, in Wisconsin, unfortunately, we're living under law now under, from 1857 when it comes to abortion. So yep. <laughs> law when we used to tax horses uh, and carriages uh, at I think it was two horses for 15 cents or something like that was the tax. That's when the law that we're now living under for abortion in Wisconsin. The good news in Wisconsin is we have an open Supreme Court seat up. That's going to be the deciding vote on our Supreme Court. That's going to decide how abortion law is going to be in Wisconsin, to decide how labor law, to turn back some of the, the deforms that happened under Scott Walker are going to happen, to get fair maps so that we can have a fair chance at winning legislative and congressional seats. We only have two of the eight seats in Wisconsin, and we're a 50-50 state. We have a chance in, in early April to elect a woman named Janet Protasewicz uh, mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court. Everyone nationally should be focused on this. And if they've got a couple of nickels and dimes, it wouldn't hurt because, uh, you know, picking up a couple of congressional seats in Wisconsin when you're down four seats means pretty much everything. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan represents the second congressional district in the great state of Wisconsin. We're always thrilled anytime you can join us here on the show. Thank you so much for staying up late. It's great to see you, sir. Of course. Thank you, John. Take care. Come back again soon. We'll be right back with your calls. We are live and interactive at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I'm John saying This is SiriusXM Progress. We got the uh, rude pundit locked and loaded about to join us really quick. David in Nevada, thank you for your patience on hold. Hello. Hey, Brother John, how you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing beautiful. Well, as I always say, John, let's just go on ahead and get straight to it. 
please. Congressman Pocono just told you Pocan. about Ron DeSantos. Yes. And that, how do you deal with the 400-ton elephant called Donald on batshit crazy Trump? Mm-hmm. You can't. Because if he comes out and he speaks against you, might as well just forget the mega. You're not going to get Lauren Bobart or crazy Margie cockeyed Green or Jim Jordan or none of them fools. And nobody, none of the true conservative Republicans that are in Congress is going to commit political suicide to support Ron DeSantos. Oh, a lot of them will. A lot of them will. A lot of them will. Yeah, but they know it'll be political suicide because the mega fools will tear them apart when they got to be primary. It's beautiful. They're going to hold off on endorsing as long as they humanly can because they're all praying that Donald Trump gets indicted. And by the way, if Donald Trump gets indicted, you know, he might not be able to run third party because he would need a Republican president to pardon him. Exactly. And see, one of the things that I keep trying to tell people, the things that the Santos has done in Florida, you know that 80 plus percent of Americans are not going to go with, uh, we're not going to do the woke theory or... or Maybe not or 80%, but yeah, you're right. Ron DeSantis has already gone way too racist, way too early. To I, I think he's shot himself in the foot. I don't know how he can pull back from this and get non-rabid, mouth-breathing, slobbering goobers to support him. He's gone too far to the right. Yeah, exactly. And that's not what they want. See, America, in a way, wants to go back to PC, political correctness, because we know Donald Trump, when he came in, what he did was say, there's no more PC. You can do whatever you want to do, and there's no repercussions as long as I'm in charge, because I'm not going to do anything against uh, groups or whatever. But you know, know, David, you know, David. PC means not being a dick, like bleeding heart meant not being a dick. Social justice warrior means not being a dick. Woke means not being a dick. Every decade, they find a new way to smear basic kindness and not being a dick. That's their whole game plan. There's more of us than there are of them. And we saw in 2022, the vast majority of these fucking independent white people that everyone's fighting over to get them to vote. They're not coming for this Trumpism. And Ron DeSantis is a great way to watch Trump lose, even if Trump doesn't lose. Exactly. See, and and one thing, the young are woke. Yeah, really quick. The young people in America are woke. There's old people woke, woke too. They're not into that. They're There's not old people woke too. I know, but they're also, but young people understand racism. I, there's old people that are woke. Joe Biden now is light years more woke than he was back in the 80s. But wokeness is one of those things. It's, it's not a destination. It's about the journey. You never arrive at woke. It's like enlightenment. It's all about the path of trying to become more empathetic, more aware, you know, more caring, more wise about these things. But the opposite of woke is comatose david you're a gentleman i thank you very much for the call i gotta bring in my guest because lee papa is the political blogger that matters he is known in the dark as the rude pundit that's his superhero name this man has tens of thousands of weekly readers he's a regular guest on the stephanie miller show he's been called by the new york times the love child of lenny bruce richard Pryor, and hunter s thompson i enjoy just imagining how those three guys could conceive him please welcome back the rude pundit hey lee that's a hell of a thruple. I mean, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's a it's a it's a party when Hunter Thompson showed up. But yes, it is so good to see you, Lee. How are you? Uh, I'm good. You know, I'm just following, you know, the fuckery in states I used to live in. I used to live in Florida. I used to live in Tennessee and I'm just, just watching them fall apart. Yeah. I love Florida. Had a lot of good times there. I have two parents buried there that I love very much. Ron DeSantis's book, which is coming out today, which no one will actually read, but more people will read it than read his last shitty book, says that his goal is to make America... Just like Florida, which I guess means protecting all of us from trans children who want to play sports and being a Republican who attacks private business for saying things he doesn't like and then fucking with migrants for cruel political stunts. But uh, and, and also being racist, getting rid of black dominated voting districts. I could go on. I don't see anything Ron DeSantis has done that's going to help people who aren't already on the right like him more. No, no. And and he but and, he, you know, what did he do now? He just said that there he's appointing people to the board that that will oversee Disney. And now he's saying he wants them to possibly regulate the content Disney puts out. Isn't that great? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, this fucking guy, he is trying to be he, he, he really wants to say, you know, you know, all that stuff you feared with Trump. <laughs> Fuck. Now, how about we do it competently? How about how about that's we're the selling point? That's yeah. the selling point, right? Like he's he's the smart Trump. He's the smarter Trump, and that's what they all like. And I keep saying, you know, you can be a much smarter Trump and still be pretty awful and pretty stupid. And I, I've been terrified of Ron DeSantis. I'm I'm much more scared of him than I am of Donald Trump because I I will say this, and I could be wrong. I don't see how after January sixth, the people who own this country will ever let Donald Trump into the White House again. I'm a lot less scared these days, Lee of Ron DeSantis, because I just think he's already trying too hard. I think mm -hmm. that the stunt where he lied to migrants, legal asylum seekers to get him on a plane to dump them on another Republican governor. I don't think it tested well outside of the racist bubble. And honestly, and no one's talking about this yet. His lack of charisma is off the charts. His We've talked about, we have talked about that he, before. Yes, we, you and I talk about it, but the yeah, more I yeah. watch him, he could challenge Mitch McConnell in a lack of charisma off. Oh, yeah. 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 No, he makes Bob Dole look like a fucking, you know, oh, ball of Bob sunshine. Dole, James Brown. Bob Dole is next to this guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you look at him and you go, you go, dude, uh, all right. If you just shut the fuck up, I'll get the, the, the extended warranty on my TV. You know, that's how much <laughs> you scare me. I completely agree. But what what is going on with when you're going after AP African-American studies like I'm sorry, he's found a way to get every young person to be turned off by him already. And I, I, I know the book is a big deal. The book is the clearest sign yet that this man is definitely running. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't see why DeSantis wouldn't. I mean, worst case scenario, Trump asks him to be his more popular running mate. Like we, we were watching a clip earlier of uh, Brian Kilmeade in Fox News where he was going around a diner in Florida in DeSantis country asking people who you like for president. He yeah. couldn't get a single one of these Caucasians in this diner to say they liked their own governor. They were all Trump. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, and, it, and, and, and I love that because it's got to be fucking brutal for him because, you know, that's the thing he keeps hearing from from the right wing media and and honestly, the mainstream media is, you know, they're anointing him and uh, and they're anointing him without a single fucking vote. And we, we're just we we are literally watching the the Chris Christie of the 2024 election here, you know, the guy or the Rudy Giuliani, you know, the guy who was supposed to be the one that was going to take it all away everybody's everybody says oh yeah it's this guy this time and you know trump or somebody else is going to come along and just sweep it out from under him it seems that way but i'm sorry i keep saying this lee it's going to be so worth it for the debates if we could get donald trump and all of his loyal winged monkeys on the same stage together and donald trump can berate them all for their obedience to him it's i'm sorry i want to watch trump go after nikki haley go after ron desantis after they just prostituted themselves for him and his agenda oh yeah yeah and trump doesn't care trump trump will fucking raw dog them on that stage he will fuck he will he will go he will go from lectern to lectern just fucking each of them and and his audience will cheer him on they will he knows it too and i'm sorry i'm in the minority on this but i thought ron de sanctimonious was pretty damn clever if stephen miller came up with that one then i'm going to hell because i thought that one was actually i, I wish i i call him the boy who cried woke but ron de sanctimonious not bad i, I give it ron a solid sanctimonious B. works yeah as yeah. trump nicknames go like someone obviously had to teach him that word but he he, he nailed it on the delivery Oh, yeah, it's way better than little Marco or, or 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 you know, those ones where he just, you know, comes up with some demeaning term and puts it in front. Yeah. Uh, who was crazy, crazy. Uh, yeah, you know, they were all crazy. Crazy Bernie. It was crazy Bernie, crazy and Bernie Sleepy Joe crazy and Crooked Bernie. Hillary and little Marco. But what what yeah. is he doing? What is going on with education in the state of Florida? It just seems like he's now trying to dictate educational policy and educational curriculum and what books can be read. I I. I just don't see this working out long term very well for him. I I get he's trying to cast his authoritarian bona fides, but Lee, it it just seems like he's a guy who watches nothing but Tucker Carlson and thinks this is going to play in the rest of the country. He watches Tucker Carlson and he watches a bunch of assholes on YouTube. You know, the thing that the thing that 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 is going to do him in, I mean, he could have gotten away with the African-American studies thing. He could get away with the whole now they're banning gender studies uh, from as as a as a as any kind of program. By the way, I want to put something in in context for you. So they're going after gender studies programs. And like at the University of Central Florida, which is one of the ones that they've been targeting, there is a minor in women's and gender studies. It has 170 students. Do you know how many students are at the University of Central Florida? 70,000 students. There are 70,000 students at this school. 170 of them are taking are taking this minor. That's like a quarter of a percent of the students. So it's not like we're talking about, you know, every all 70,000 students are sat in an auditorium and each one is assigned a gender. You know, it's just it's 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 madness. And but the thing that's going to get the thing that's going to piss off the suburban moms, the book bans, because that is something that harkens back to all kinds of things. And it just breathes. It just it just sounds like ignorance. There are there are every book, every book that's on their, you know, review list because they're not bans. They're on review list. Every book deals with either the black experience or it's a non-sexual book dealing with the LGBT experience. Everyone. 
Yeah, yeah. Things that are about what baseball heroes and about, you know, other people, uh, other other non-white heroes, they can't be in the libraries because they'll make white people feel bad. You know, that's the kind yeah, of shit that's that, that, that that's going to that's going to turn off people. Those blank bookshelves, you know, they they fired that uh that teacher who did a video of all the empty bookshelves in his classroom saying, "You don't think this shit is true? It's true. Here it wow. is." I mean, I'm looking at this and again from like this the critical race theory stuff which is all lies Bullshit. the woke yeah. woke business which you know it's nice that Ron DeSantis is so young because he'll be alive in 20 years when the entire world calls out his racism of smearing woke nonstop just to appeal to yep. racists the, the the school boards the book banning the college curriculum the AP courses banning the the, the vouchers this stuff is not going to test well with the women and young people the republican focus groups keep telling them they need to attract yeah and it might play in it obviously gets him through in Florida because, you know, there is enough of a contingent of wealthy white people that are moving down there that uh, right. that will support him. And, you know, they are. But I'll tell you what, if they do what they're going to do and get rid of uh, gender and, and gender studies and uh, and critic and race theory and racial studies and they eliminate tenure and they eliminate any program that fucking follows that does anything with diversity, equity and inclusion. You want to go. That's the entire fucking country right now. Every corporation has a diversity, equity and inclusion officer. You that's know right. who has a diversity, equity and inclusion officer? You want to know who has one? Liberty University has Ooh. a diversity, equity, and inclusion offer. Pepperdine has an entire office. Universities, of corporations, every tech company out there. Yeah, they yeah. all. And that. And again, you're going after young adults in the professional workplace. Then, it's like they're nonstop trying to get the people who already like them to like them instead of casting a wider net. I think that's why the only person not nervous about Joe Biden, Lee, is Joe Biden. Joe Biden's really good at two things, uh, overcoming low expectations and yeah. very simply, folks, drawing a contrast between what I want to do and what the other guy wants to do. And he does it time and again. I mean, what I saw Joe Biden do 10 years ago to Paul Ryan, I can easily yeah. imagine him doing it to a Ron DeSantis, who is even nastier oh. and doughier and more mediocre a human than Paul Ryan. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. No, I think he would take pleasure in in taking apart Ron DeSantis. And the other thing that Joe Biden is good at is he is good at the knowing when to give a shit and knowing when not to give a shit. Good point, good point. And, and that, is, that is one of the most important qualities I've seen in a leader in I don't know how long. You know, he lets so many things just roll off him. Like, come on, man. Really? Is this a thing you're going to bring up? Yeah. His, his, oh, fuck off attitude is, is, <laughs> is really, it's one thing that America needs. And that, as much as, you know, we talk about his age and everything and, and, and our worries about it, one of the good things about being that old is, motherfucker, I've seen all this before, He's you seen know. It. Yep, Joe Biden's yep. not going to waste his time arguing with the trolls on Twitter. He's way beyond right. that shit. Yeah. I went toe to toe with Dick Cheney. You really think you're going to scare me? <laughs> but let me ask you about this, though, because um, I love that, by the way. Uh, not just not just that, but, you know, in fairness to Ron DeSantis, he's not just trying to protect us. 
from transgender children who want to play sports, and we need someone to protect us from that. He's also totally. protecting us from uh, from drag queens, Lee. Uh, yes. The drag queen thing is still going on, and it's like, you know, George Harrison would have been 80 this last weekend, and he famously said, as long as you hate, there will be people to hate. And every decade, they need to find a new way to demonize LGBTQ people, since they can't demonize LGBTQ people yet. So now we've moved on to trans children and drag acts drag yep. acts which we all grew up watching paul lynn and bugs bunny and i could go on for days i mean again like how does this help him outside of the bubble i i have no idea except this is one of those things that is just alien enough to enough people that it uh it will just piss enough people off it'll it's one of those it's one of those things like you know uh what like when um uh, what's his name? Oh shit! I can't believe I forgot that evil mother. Carl Rove made sure that uh, that same-sex marriage laws were put on the, the ballot in the 2004 election, I believe, yeah. to make sure that it, it got people to the polls. And uh, this is the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of hysteria over something that won't matter at all to anybody's daily life. That's so true. Oh, my God. It's so true. By the way, we're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. I want to bring in our listeners in a second on this, but I got to ask you first, just briefly about East Palestine, because um, we had Mark Pokin on, and I was talking with him about this uh, in the last hour. Lee, it's just amazing that we have it in black and white, that it was the Trump administration under Elaine Chao, who before Donald Trump had a racist nickname for her, he was being lethally incompetent with her and recalling these Obama era rules about upgraded brakes on trains. And now we see this happen. And for almost a day, it seemed like our Republican friends who only have umbrage were going to have to come out in favor of environmental legislation or regulation. But no, they've decided, no, it doesn't matter what caused it. Let's let's blame Biden and Mayor Pete for not doing enough. And yeah. And I love the, the entire argument. That- I love the the idea that that Pete Buttigieg is not qualified to be transportation secretary and fucking Elaine Chow was. I mean, y- you know, it's like I, that was a favor to Mitch McConnell. That's all that's all that was. Yeah. And uh and you know, I mean we 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 do need to recognize a couple of things. We need to recognize that the Biden administration didn't put those those rules back into effect. We need That's to, true. We need to that's that. very true. Call them out we need to it. recognize we need to recognize that Obama uh, uh, did not make uh, as serious an effort to have trains marked as hazardous that were hazardous. So yes. this train was would not have fallen under that under that brake law anyway. OK, because, so it is a series of fuck ups that really just demonstrate the control that a major industry has over the Congress and our leaders, you know, and, um, and so, you know, there are tons of people to blame, but you know what? None of it, none of it solves anything. And the other thing that gets me though, is the racialization of, of the whole thing. And all I keep thinking about are things like obviously the Flint water crisis. I think about, I think about the uh, cancer alley in Louisiana which is, you know, something that's gone on for decades. I yes. think about 
I think about the explosion at a chemical plant in Texas at uh, Port Neat. I think it was Port Neches, mm-hmm. and in 2019, where uh, people were people were injured, the windows of homes were blown out. They had to evacuate an area. Um, it was toxic uh, gas that was in the air, and nobody on the right gave a shit about it because it was an area that only had black and brown people living That's in. That's right. Yeah, they also didn't give a shit about it because it was a Republican president at the time, sort of like the deficit. Lee, let me get one caller in. And when I say one caller, I mean, let me get in our friend, Stephen from Kentucky. Stephen, welcome. You're on with the Root Pundit. Hello. How are you this evening? Holy shit. I love Stephen. Stephen is the best. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that, dear. And what was your name? That's Lee Papa. That's Lee, the Root Pundit. Hello, Lee. It's wonderful to speak with you this evening. When you were mentioning about environmental disasters, Lois Gibbs, what was she was an activist years ago. Was it Three Mile Island, possibly, that she was associated with? I don't remember. Uh, Marsha Mason was in a movie about her life. not Love sure. Canal or uh, yeah, been, uh, it, it was, was Love Canal. Love, she was Love Canal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that was another disaster when you were mentioning a, the series of disasters over the years. Yes. Well, you know, I have a couple of things to say. Uh, you know, as far as DeSantis is concerned, I've prognosticated on your show, John, a couple of times yes. that he doesn't have a prayer of being president. I don't think he does have a prayer because the fa- and he and people can say he does and he does and all this other stuff. But the fact is that um, even this stuff with Disney. You know, his the Floridians are going to have to pay more in taxes, and yet for years Republicans have talked about how Democrats are taxing about taxing and spending, you know, and everything else. And the fact is, he's a representative of the fact that that that's just a lie. Well, he's trying and, to get around that. Right? He's trying to get around that. He just undid the one point two billion dollar tax hike on Central Florida that he accidentally stupidly imposed a year ago when he rushed through that bill to punish Disney for criticizing the don't say gay law. That tax increase would have killed him. But today he got rid of it because he's running for president. Well, he can run all he wants to. He can be Speedy Gonzalez all he wants to. But the point is, in this case, you know, you were just mentioning, and I happen to be a member of the LGBTQ community, and I also have to be around Mr. DeSantis's age. I'm not going to mm-hmm. my age, but I happen okay. to be around his age. And I will tell you, that I what I find troubling is that this is a man who has Ivy League pedigree himself, but yet at the same time he has such he he's a philistine when yes. it comes to education. He doesn't let me ask, give a damn. Let me ask Lee about that because I love that Lee. But my new thing is um, what I'm calling Ivy League anonymous. You know, uh, <laughs> Senator John Kerry of Louisiana who talk about talk like this. He, he's literally a Rhodes Scholar, like like. You know, George W. Bush went to Harvard, Andover and Yale and then couldn't speak in complete sentences and dropped his Texas accent in the second term. I mean, this is the phenomena of these highly educated right wing men who desperately don't want people to know they're educated. It's like they learned how to play the rubes perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, Senator, I call I call John Kennedy Huckleberry Chucklefuck and <laughs> and. And that, that, yeah, and he just comes across there with that fucking, you know, uh, Colonel Sanders voice of his and yeah. uh, and 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 it works. It works. That's the reason why they go to the that 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 well where they can fool the rubes, yeah. because every single time it works and and it doesn't matter as long as you say. 
folksy and charming. You can be forgiven for your for your wayward time at some elite institution. You came back back home. You remembered where you came from. That's right. You came back home and you called other educated people French. And that's all it takes for us to love you again. Go ahead, Stephen. Really quick. We got to hit a break. It is amazing to me because, you know, they're talking about drag queens. John uh, Kennedy could be considered a drag queen himself as long as we're on the subject. Uh, (laughs) But also at the same time, this stuff with COVID-19 and all, you know, now they're saying, oh, I told you so. What exactly have you told us? The fact is Trump Mm. himself praised President Xi. He Back did. earlier on when this happened. Yes. I don't exactly know. And then he scapegoated Asian Americans, which really bothers me, because in this case, are we going to have a revival of that going along yeah. with this? You know what I mean? And as You're far right. as Biden's right. concerned, I wanted to just get in something about this. Really quick, too. really quick. We got to hit a break. Go ahead. You know, what I don't understand is they keep saying that they're trying to go after Hunter again with this laptop. What the hell is on this laptop? They just did an investigation several years ago on this. The FBI looked at it. There was nothing. Nothing. On there. There's what are nothing. they hoping to? What are they hoping to find? And by the way, it's Benghazi. They, we got We got to hit a break. I can't by the way anymore, Stephen. But I will say, and I want Lee to respond. It's Benghazi. There's nothing there. They know it pisses white people off, and they're going to talk about it and talk about it because they know they can lie, and they will never face consequences. Says Lee, your thoughts? Thank you. They, they, they want Hunter Biden's dick pics on Twitter. <laughs> That's it. It's just about embarrassing the president yes. and distracting him. The same people who are fighting for trans men to have to use public ladies rooms are fighting for Hunter Biden's dick pics to be all over the Internet. Lee, you're a gentleman. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Uh, at Rude Pundit, you can join me on Patreon, where I have a whole two uh, posts up on the Tennessee uh, anti-drag bill at patreon.com slash Rude Pundit and the blog rudepundit.blogspot.com. It's great to see you, sir. Thank you very much. we got to hit a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. This is SiriusXM Progress. Well, I got to bring in Natalia Reagan. We always love when she lowers her standards to join us. She is an anthropologist, a primatologist, a comedian, a producer, a host, an actor. She she played a dancing McNugget in a TV commercial once. A lot of you lot know her uh, as being an all star host for Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk. But every now and then, she joins the show to enlighten us with another installment of Shit You Can't Say, the only installment on this show that I dread. Natalia, welcome back. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel like every time I come here, it's a big confidence boost. You make me feel so great right before I I pummel you with something else that you uh, are terrible for for continuing. Well, I make a lot of jokes about I make a lot of jokes about you and the liberal censorship police coming here to take away our cherished expressions like redskins, you know, things we, you know, innocent phrases that we love. But it's terrible. Honestly, I kind of feel like you are doing a very public service because you're letting us know now the shit that uh, you will not want to say in 20 years. You're letting us know now the shit that um, kids will be embarrassed of their parents repeating in 20 years. And I and and as long as we've been doing this segment, it's been amazing how much of it relates to indigenous people, how much of it is about the mm-hmm. Indian experience in America. But a lot of it's based in racism as well. What yeah. is uh, I'm scared to ask. 
what 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 shit can we no longer say? Well, no? tonight, yeah, tonight I'm. Uh, this is not necessarily uh, a hit on indigenous, but um, Black Americans. I'm doing grandfathered in or the grandfather clause, which right. is now something what, that what's I. What's wrong with that? Yeah, that's that's. I that's know. Completely. I mean, it's got Papa in it. How bad can it be? It's got Grandpa. Uh, so grandfathered in is a, is a phrase that you hear where a, you know, it's a provision where a uh, an extinct rule is to still applies to certain people. You kind of get like the you're the ex- exception. You get special privilege, special rights. And this term came about uh, post uh, emancipation when um, blacks were starting to vote. But well, many states did not like that. And so That's they put, right. and this is the Jim Crow uh, rules era, uh, laws era, where they were basically trying to find ways. This is early OG voter suppression. How can we keep uh, black voters from voting? And so there were poll taxes. There were literacy tests. That's but guess right. What? Poor whites that didn't have access to education, because let's be let's be real, uh, you know, oftentimes education is something across the board. If you don't have a lot of money, you just don't get it. And so poor whites weren't able to vote, too. So what they oh, well, did, a lot of poor whites were not yeah. going to be able to pass literacy tests. Right. It, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. And those poor whites would vote alongside other whites. So they wanted them to vote. They wanted that vote. Right. So they grandfathered in, them in saying that if their relatives or grandparents were able to vote pre-Civil War, then they were able to do so without having to pay a poll tax or take a literacy test. So this is early voter suppression. It continued on. Yeah, it's you know, it's one of those things where I hear hear it all the time. I've said these are things I've said, by the way, you say I I kind of, you know, shit on all these phrases and make you feel bad. But these are things I said up until like I read about them because I didn't know. And my job is to just teach. If you still want to say it, that's fine. That's on you. But you might feel really stupid later and your grandkids might mock you. So, you know. Well, this one, this one's interesting because I, I well, I, I, want, I want to get to that now. Of course, yes. there's no such term as grandmothered in because no women. Oh, could well, vote women couldn't back vote at this time. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, come on. <laughs> so we have the grandfather clause, which really? was just you know decided that okay, if 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 white people are too illiterate to pass the literacy test, doesn't matter if you were able to vote before African Americans were given the franchise. We're thinking like late 1860s here. Yes. Um, then that's the grandfather clause, and these were yep. done exclusively to make sure that there was less black representation and making sure that the white representation was always always protected. Yes. And sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes they did suppress the white vote, too, if, if they you know, they didn't want it, them to kind of band together and, and and raise up to fight this sort of this clause or this before the clause. But they um, for the most part, they did want that white vote. So they did whatever yeah. they could to make sure they could get it. And this grandfathering in allowed that, but of course, suppressed the vote. And that all changed in uh, 1915 is essentially when that was uh, determined um, unconstitutional. That's and right. they and states were no longer allowed to use the quote unquote grandfather clause. And of course, in 1965, the Voting Rights Act allowed uh, you know African Americans to vote, clause or no clause. It's wild when you think how how recent that was. How that yeah. wasn't a long time ago at all, and and we're still fighting so much, you know, injustice in terms of you know racial prejudice. I mean, it hasn't gone away, and we know that it hasn't gone away. Decade, it's gotten well. I mean, we know that we had a, a, an orange hate monster that not only said it was okay, but emboldened it. Said it was, you know, uh, said that were good people in the Nazi Party, and white supremacists were just, you know, fine folks. So we have to again do what we can to kind of step away from that. And, and by looking back at the past, we can hopefully move forward a bit more aware. This and is amazing. I, 
I, I got to be yeah. honest, I, I yeah. never knew this is where this expression came from. And it seems like the entire thing was a whole new and I will say more sophisticated form of discrimination. You, you, you have to protect white people from restrictions that you only want to apply to African-Americans. Obviously, because of the 15th Amendment, you, you know, you, you couldn't pass a law saying black people couldn't vote, which is what they nope. wanted to do. So they found a solution. And the, yeah. these these grandfather clauses, I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm struggling with is, is grandfather clause shit you can't say or has the term become redefined over the years? I mean, That's it's, a great it's question. used for other reasons now, and it's never used in relation to its original uh, intent. Well, I mean, we've we've talked about this before on the show is intent and impact. And sometimes, you know, if the intent is, is not, you know, malicious, then it's not so bad. But sometimes if 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 who you're speaking it to knows the the root meaning and it's not acknowledged, I don't know if that is burying it and uh, problematic and it should at least be addressed. Right. I yes. think by addressing it is is first and foremost. I mean, I feel I feel like we're coming into a time where and I think this is fascinating about cultures, culture, cultural evolution can happen really quickly and we can take words and phrases and, uh, you know, cultural norms and reshape them. Uh, if we want to do that with grandfather clause or any of these phrases that we've used, um, we can. But I think the people that it impacts the most are the ones to make that decision, not someone that looks like you or me, right? Absolutely. Um, that's where I think that um, this is why I think it's important. You know, I am a white person talking about these phrases that have very racist origins because I think it's on white folks to, to, to say something because I, I've had actually many friends be in meetings and things like powwow or circle the wagons have been thrown around and they are indigenous and it's it shouldn't be on them to speak up and same with that's you know, right if someone black in a, in a in a meeting hears the word grandfather or the phrase grandfather in and is a little you know like hey yeah that's not that's not cool it, it's on someone maybe like me to to say hey let's think twice about what we say and again it's not about making people feel terrible it's like maybe let's make some better choices words, some, I words agree. matter words, by the I mean, way you, you know you mentioned 1915 the supreme court ruled unanimously the grandfather clauses were unconstitutional uh you know states got around that oklahoma had a special legislative session to literally grandfather in the grandfather clause they did it. They got around the Supreme Court and they said that whites under the old system were automatically registered to vote. But African-Americans could only register between April and May of 1916 or never vote at all. And that stayed on the books until 1939. Wow. I mean, yep. April and May. That's a what is it? A third, you know, They're not even like the longest months of the year. You know, like, <laughs> like literally, you, you might as well pick February. Dear God. Like, yeah, I, this was a. We talk about voter suppression now. We we know that this is nothing new, but this is a really sneaky sort of, you know, trying to to, to feign like they're doing something good, but their their intentions are are terrible and I'll racist say. and, you know, yeah, deeply hurtful. But yeah, I, I do think finding alternative phrases is a good idea, but more than, you know, more importantly, I think just the education around it and understanding where it came from so we can yeah. take that information and do with it what we want. But, uh, you know, some alternatives, by the way, are special cases, special privilege, because uh, that's what it is. It's a that's privilege. That's what it is. You're um, right. Yeah, because that's usually what we talk about when we grandfather say grandfather clause is a way of a tasteful way of saying rules don't apply here. I don't. Yeah. Do you know who I am? Excuse me. Pardon me. Mm, yeah, that's that's the uh, the feeling. The, you want to take a couple quoi. of 
You want to take a couple of calls from our evil army of the night? Sure, let's do it. Let's go to the phones. Everyone's talking about student loans, but we'll see what's going on. Hey, you know I what? Marie, Marie in Atlanta. Hello, Marie. You're on with Natalia Reagan. Thank you for your patience on hold. Hello, and it's good to talk to you again, Natalia. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Well, thanks. Although I I have to start out with a little something for Chris. Please. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. Household. Happy birthday to you. That's just very nice. Yeah, Rob, that was uh, Rob, beautiful. That was amazing. That was the best Lauren Boebert I've ever heard. Really, you nailed, it. You nailed it, the nuance of the character. It was great. Um, regarding student loans, you know, I was I caught some of the argument, the oral argument before the Supreme Court today. I didn't get to hear the whole thing. And Gorsuch and company like to talk about fairness and how it's not oh, fair yeah. for those who paid or for those who aren't going to incur those debts or for those who decided to go to, to school without incurring debt. Mm-hmm. The problem with the fairness argument, in my opinion, is that it completely ignores the economic realities Thank of you. commerce in our country, just the yeah. everyday of commerce. So, yeah. for example, I'm at that stage of life where I'm in way more house than I need to be in. But I need to be able to have people who have money to come and buy it from me so I can then move on to a smaller place. Yeah. But And, and admittedly, ten or $20,000 in interest isn't going to make that big of a dent. But it's a start because I know right. that it took a long time with my own student loan debt to be able to save up to buy my first house. Exactly. It delayed mm-hmm. my commercial activity. So we're talking about delaying commercial activity in this country, which has an economic impact. That's it. That's it. Has it has an These... impact to our economy. Yep. You want, I mean, you want to have the economy have a big jolt. It's not about giving tax breaks to rich people. They're just going to go and invest or buy back their own stocks. Mm-hmm. It's always got to be about letting the money trickle up. Give the yep. money to people who need the money, and they will go out and spend it, and their local communities will have that stimulation. I mean, we know it's there, but the Gorsuch argument is we have to keep all this unfairness, because getting rid of the unfairness would be unfair. Exactly. That's it. Marie, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. You are the classiest in town. I mean, do you have thoughts on student loans before the break, Natalia? Me? Oh, yes, yeah. I absolutely do. I, I think it's ridiculous that the, I mean, the unfairness argument is, like you just mentioned, it makes no sense because the best way to pump money into an economy is by relieving debt from a very large, low middle class. Right. You know, that's that's going to be number one way of doing it. But Hammurabi forgave debt four times. This is that eye for an eye guy. Eye yes. for an eye. Four times every 10 years he forgave debt. And then when yep. he died, and by the way, he would forgive debt and they would throw up a big old rave, right? What they That's lacked right. in blow sticks, they made the up Jubilee. for a guy liner. Lots every of guy ten- liner. Yep. And when he died, they forgave it again. So Mesopotamia, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> Natalia, how do our listeners follow you and keep up with all your doings? Okay, uh, on Twitter at Natalia13Reagan, same with Instagram, uh, at Behold Natalia on TikTok. I have a show Thursday night at the Nice Mike at the Clubhouse uh, Club in L.A. And yeah, just follow me and I've got shows coming up and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us and classing up our little humble show again. Natalia, this is progress. Progress. 